0: Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy.
1: Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast.
0: This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us
1: are here. And now, here's your host.
0: Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Perticchese, and thank you for joining me this evening. NFL Draft, guys, it's about four weeks or so in the books, and we're still here recapping it. We've had a lot of tremendous guests on. If you've missed any of the recent episodes, please make sure you check them out. Most recently, we had on Matt Williamson from the Dino Blueprint podcast and host of the NFL Locked On podcast. Last week, we had Mike Tagliere from Fantasy Pros, and we've really been dissecting a lot of the big rookies in terms of landing spot, opportunity, immediate versus long-term production. So what I wanted to do on this solo episode this evening is I kind of wanted to dig a little bit deeper. Not since draft weekend, when obviously I shared my thoughts on every single pick each night, recapping round one and then night two, and then obviously day three, rounds four through seven. And then I did a Immediate rookie ranking show for dynasty. I haven't really circled back and shared too many of my thoughts. Now, obviously, when I've had guests on, you know, and we did the mock draft, I shared my thoughts on a lot of the big prospects, the guys who in rookie drafts would be going in round one and round two, you know, maybe. Parts of round three as well. But we haven't talked a lot about some of the under the radar guys. I haven't talked at all on air about some of the UDFA guys that were prospects that we thought were going to be drafted, that were pretty well, you know, represented in terms of our own rankings. So I wanted to use this episode and I'm kind of classifying it as prospects who I think are being undervalued right now, in my opinion. And some sleepers. And what I mean by sleepers, you know, guys who are, who may not even be drafted in a lot of rookie drafts, you know, unless it's a really deep league, guys who are going to be on your watch list, guys that you should just be kind of keeping in the back of your mind, you know, maybe during preseason and training camp here, you know, what their role could be, if they're even going to make the roster, if they're a UDFA guy. So I'm going to kind of go through the positions and, and just kind of share my thoughts on some guys that I think are being undervalued right now. And I might touch upon one or two of the more well, no names, but I'm really going to focus more on the guys who you know are a little bit further down the rankings, and most people aren't talking about them. You know, when I've had guests on recently, like I said before, Matt Williamson, Mike Tagliere, other people, we haven't really dug that deep and and talked about guys you know who you know are at the bottom of quarterback ranking list or UDFA quarterbacks or same thing with the running backs. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of dig a little bit deeper. There's a lot of coverage out there in the industry about the the well-known rookies, but I wanted to dig a little bit further. So that's what I'm going to do tonight. So let's start right at the quarterback position. And First, I am going to start with a little bit of a bigger name. and I think one guy who is being undervalued a little bit in terms of probably two quarterback leagues or super flex leagues, and that's Daniel Jones out of Duke. Obviously, my feelings are well known on Daniel Jones of Duke. I made it prior to the NFL draft. If you were watching the Football Guys live draft show, which I was privileged to be a guest on, obviously, I did not want the New York Giants to select Daniel Jones in the first round, let alone at pick six. But when push comes to shove, they had the conviction to make that pick and they're going to do everything in their power to try to make it a successful pick. So I think there's a little bit with Daniel Jones surrounding him very similar to the Josh Allen narrative last year. And I know Matt and I and Sig Bloom and Nick Whalen and some other people, we were really standing and pounding the table for Josh Allen last year to give the kid a chance you know, let's see what he has. And I think Josh Allen already proved in his rookie year that where he was selected was warranted. Does he have a lot of flaws and and things that he's still got to work on? For sure. But he already showed that what he was able to do at Wyoming translated the big arm, the athleticism, making plays off script. And people still kind of want to Look at Josh Allen and not give him the credit he's due. And now I kind of feel like the same thing is with Daniel Jones. So yes, did I think he should be a first round pick? No. Did I think he the Giants made a mistake picking him at six? Yeah, I do. But a lot of people in the NFL seem to like him a lot more than you know, draft Twitter does, more than myself does. And the Giants are setting him up. They've they fixed the O line right now. Obviously, a couple older veterans there that you know might not be in for the long haul. You know, especially right tackle Mike Remmers. If he can get back and at least be a serviceable right tackle, but the the Giants have fixed the offensive line to at least be an average to above average unit, most likely between Nate Solder and Kevin Zeitler and Will Hernandez and and hopefully Mike Remmers being an upgrade on Chad Wheeler. They have Saquon Barkley. They have possession-style wide receivers who can make plays after the catch, such as Evan Ingram at the tight end position, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate. So he's going to get his opportunity, and he's got that athleticism as well that I do think he's going to be able to be a viable quarterback too in fantasy football. I've, I've compared him pre-draft to somewhere in the Ryan Tannehill to Andy Dalton spectrum. And I think the Giants are even expecting more than that. But even if he's just a Ryan Tannehill to Andy Galton spectrum in a two quarterback or super flex league, that guy probably should be going in the early to mid part of round two. And just from hearing people talk about him, and I'm not someone who really digs in and and looks closely at ADP. I I more just kind of listen and and follow on Twitter and read a lot of articles to kind of hear what the narrative is. It doesn't seem like, many people are even giving Daniel Jones a chance. And I think in, in those two quarterback or super flex settings, he warrants being a, you know, early to mid second round rookie pick. In, in one quarterback league, Jay yeah, he's probably a third round pick somewhere. But people I think are a 100% assuming he's going to fail. And I don't think so. Most people, you know, even Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks, most people said he was the safest of the quarterback prospects. That while he didn't have the highest ceiling, they thought his, you know, they thought his, floor was potentially the safest. So I do think he's going to be a starting quarterback and he might just be an average starting quarterback down the line. But even if he's an average starting quarterback, even if he is Andy Dalton, he should be considered a quarterback to potential in fantasy football. And in those settings, like Superflex and two quarterback leagues, he's being devalued. So I think he is a guy that's being undervalued right now by the community, just because very much like Josh Allen was last year, people... Are just all over him. I think almost want to see him fail. Are going to be quick to expect him to fail, and because of that, I think he sends value on in drafts because of the narrative that's out there surrounding Daniel Jones. If we go deeper, and now I, I think these are guys that would be more classified as sleepers. In some leagues, they're not even in many league rookie drafts. They're not even going to get drafted. Maybe in two quarterback or super flex leagues, one or two of these guys, you know, kind of get stashed away depending on how deep it is. So I'm going to skip past the Drew Locks, the Will Greers, and the Jared Stidhams of the world. I feel like they're being talked about a lot. So another guy I'm going to say is a sleeper is Ryan Finley out of Cincinnati. Now, Ryan Finley is a guy who I think is very much a game manager type. I think he's a guy that could be a spot starter or a low-end starter if you have the right setup around him. But they have a new offense, new scheme there in Cincinnati, obviously coming from the Rams. I think a guy like Ryan Finley, if Andy Dalton struggles, he might get an opportunity at some point either – Late in this season, or if they move on from Andy Dalton next year, so Ryan Finley is a guy who I don't think the talent is spectacular or anything, but I do think he's serviceable. I do think he could be a game manager type, and if you put enough weapons around him, and they got some weapons, I mean, they got AJ Green, they got Tyler Boyd, they got Joe Mixon out of the backfield. If Tyler Eifert could ever stay healthy. And it's more the product of that scheme. We've seen, you know, the, the improvement that Jared Goff made. And I'm not sitting here saying Ryan Finley is anywhere near as talented as Jared Goff. That would be foolish to say. But I do think that if that offense creates a scheme that's comparable to the style of scheme that the Rams run, I do think they have some pieces in play. Joe Mixon playing the role, you know, of Todd Gurley. You know, Tyler Boyd probably playing the role of either Robert Woods or Cooper Cup. You know, they have AJ Green there. You know, and maybe they can get something out of John Ross there. So I do think there's some weapons in play. They've invested, you know, some resources on the offensive line. You know, with Jonah Williams. So I do think they have somewhat of a foundation there that maybe if he gets an opportunity. I think he's a sleeper to keep on the back of your radar as a guy who could get an opportunity down the line. Another guy is Clayton Thorson. You know, at Northwestern, I, I know, you know, around the Senior Bowl time when he was supposed to be at the Senior Bowl, you know, uh, Jim Nagy was saying that a lot of teams were very high in Clayton Thorson. I thought he, you know, I think I had him like 10th in my quarterback rankings pre draft, but he was a guy that intrigued NFL teams a little bit. And I think why he's a sleeper is where he ended up. I mean, the Eagles. You know, are a team that has had to utilize the backup quarterback Carson Wentz has had some injury issues. Nick Foles isn't there. That I think Clayton Thorson has an opportunity to eventually emerge into a backup quarterback. And with Carson Wentz's injury history, I think he's someone that's got to at least be considered a sleeper, you know, and a guy that maybe in in a two quarterback or super flex league, if you own Carson Wentz, you want to consider, you know, putting Clayton Thorson at the back end of your roster or on a taxi squad. You know, he's got average mobility. He can move around a little bit. He's got good size. I, I don't think he had the arm strength that you maybe want to portray with a guy his size and frame. But there were some people that really liked Thorson. So I think he's an intriguing guy to keep in the back of your mind. Besides that, I'll just mention him one UDFA who had a lot of fans in the draft Twitter community is Brett Ripon with the Denver Broncos. You know, I know Mark Schofield, Matt Wallman, and others really thought Brett Rippin was a draftable prospect, potentially a, a, you know, third or fourth round pick. And those, those people that I talked about are, are people I respect their opinions tremendously. So obviously Rippon is got a long road to make a team and even the Broncos, but the Broncos did go after him somewhat aggressively in the UDFA period. If drew lock, you know, I don't think Joe Flacco's there for the long haul. So if you know, Drew Locke, you know, gets an opportunity down the line and doesn't pan out and Rippon is on the roster. He's just the guy to kind of keep in the back of your mind. I didn't see as much as what Matt Wallman and Mark Schofield saw. I I thought he was a late round pick. A guy that was average or so at just about everything, but had no treat, traits that really stood out. But there, there was a lot of people that did that did do that did think so, and the Broncos did want to make it a point to go get him as a UDFA free agent. So he's one UDFA. Guy that I'd kind of keep on the back of my mind at the quarterback position. Then the other one is Tyree Jackson. I've already talked a little bit about Josh Allen. Tyree Jackson, some people thought could be a third or fourth round pick out of Buffalo. He falls out of the draft. The Bills go out and get him as a UDFA free agent, and he's going to probably sit there and have a shot down the line to maybe be, you know, a backup quarterback. You know, I think he would fit well as the backup quarterback to Josh Allen. So he's a guy that. You know, has some athleticism to his game as well. Guys the big arm, obviously very raw and unrefined. So he's a UDFA guy. So a couple of UDFA guys in Tyree Jackson and Brett Ripon in terms of their landing spots are intriguing. And then Ryan Finley and Clayton Thorson, I think, are kind of sleepers. And then Daniel Jones was my kind of guy who I think is being undervalued right now a little bit in the community. Let's take this over to the running back position and First thing I'm going to say is I do think that Justice Hill is get is being a little bit undervalued and maybe his ADP isn't, but I do think he's not getting enough publicity in terms of what he could add to that backfield with the Ravens. You know, obviously they had Gus Edwards there. They went out and got, you know, Mark Ingram there who I think is going to be the focal point of that run game, but they run a lot. They, they, Their goal this offseason was to add a lot of team speed. They did it with Marquise Brown, you know, and Miles Boykin, but they also did it with Justice Hill in the fourth round. I think there's a there's a path for Justice Hill to be an impactful player this year. You know, I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it. If there is a surprise Philip Lindsay under the radar player, now I know Justice Hill is not a UDFA. But I think Justice Hill has an explosive skill set. I think he's got, you know, really good athleticism. He's got burst. He's got acceleration. He's got some agility, you know, and lateral quickness. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He does a lot of things there that They don't really get from Mark Ingram and from Gus Edwards. So I do think, and the weapon that is Lamar Jackson running, I think could really open things up for Justice Hill. That I don't think Justice Hill needs a lot of snaps and a lot of touches, but if he ever works his way to getting somewhere between 10 and 12 touches a game, and maybe it's, you know, seven or eight carries. You know, and if the team's going to run 25 to 30 times, seven or eight is not unreasonable to think that he could get that. And then they throw a couple passes to him, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, he's getting three or four passes a game and he's getting, you know, eight or nine rushes and he's getting up to that 10 to 12, you know, touches a a game. I think he has the capability to have some significant fantasy viability, even in redraft leagues, because I do think – you know, he's going to be a big play Brett with just how much they have to worry about Lamar Jackson. All Justice Hill is going to need is a, a small crease and he can make a big play. So I think he's my undervalued player in terms of guys who are probably going, you know, in the first two rounds, or maybe Justice Hill sneaks into early part of round three. So I think Justice Hill would be my undervalued guy that's just not getting enough attention. In terms of my first sleeper, I don't think Tony Pollard is getting the attention he's a that he should be go, getting. He's a guy who intrigued me in the pre-draft process. I think he was at like number thirteen or fourteen in my pre-draft rankings. I said he was very much an Naheem Hines type player. I think he's a versatile offensive chess piece weapon. He could line up in the backfield and be a traditional running back. He can come out at the back backfield and be a weapon in the passing game on screens, on you know, curls over the middle. You know, he can he can run wheel routes, but he's also skillful enough that he could also be a slot wide receiver and and make some plays there. He's also a really good return guy. There's a lot there's some you know statistics out there that show good returners in college, you know, translate at the next level as as making an impact, you know, because they show the ability with the ball in their hands. Uh, to make plays happen, I'm Dallas doesn't have anybody like this, so I'm intrigued by Tony Pollard potentially developing into a weapon there. You know, Ezekiel Elliott last year caught like a lot, like sixty-five or seventy passes. I'm not sure they want him catching seventy passes a game, Ezekiel Elliott. So I think it's possible Tony Pollard starts to get some of that receiving workload. And if he's catching, you know, if he gets an opportunity to catch three the five passes a game, you know, he could be a guy that sneaky has 50 to 60 receptions this year, you know, at a at a backfield. You know, it's not unrealistic. And if it's not in year one, maybe it's in year two. But I do think he's got the capability to be a guy that catches three or four passes a week and and that adds up to all of a sudden, you know, somewhere between forty-eight and sixty-four. You know, and Yeah, that he's got some big play potential as well. He can make people miss. So if he all of a sudden is getting three or four catches a week and, you know, gets, you know, averages 30 yards or something. And then he's also getting four or five rushes a game. I think he's got some viability, you know, in deep dynasty leagues that are PPR. So I think Tony Pollard's really not being talked about at all. I know I've heard Evan Silva talk about him a little bit, but besides that, I haven't really heard many people talk about Tony Pollard. I think he's flying under the radar a little bit. So he intrigues me there with Dallas. Another sleeper is, I'm going to say is Dexter Williams. Now I didn't love Dexter Williams pre-draft. He probably was in that 15 to 20 range for me, but I'm not sold on the Green Bay backfield as many as much as some people in the fantasy community are. I think Aaron Jones is a good player. I don't think he has stood out that he's locked in in a big role. And I don't think Jamal Williams has done much to really solidify his role. So Dexter Williams is a guy I know some people like Lance Zerline, I think, was a fan of him pre-draft. Some other people were as well. You know, big bodied guy, but he's got some athleticism. He's got some burst and quickness to him. At times, I don't. And if he played up to his size and frame, I, I would like to see him be a little bit more physical at times. But he's got he's got a good size and frame. He's got some speed. You know, he showed that. You know, in the pre-draft process. And I do think there's a there's a scenario where he could emerge into Jamal Williams's role. And then I don't I'm not sold that Aaron Jones is his bell cow back. So I do think Dexter Williams has a little bit of appeal and a little bit, you know, a that could surprise people. So I think he's a little bit of a sleeper in terms of, I just don't think people are talking about him enough because I think they're looking at him and they're saying he's like a distant third in that backfield. And they're kind of penciling in Aaron Jones is the guy, Jamal Williams is like the handcuff or, you know, part of a committee. And they're not really looking at Dexter Williams as, a, as someone who has an opportunity. And I think he does. So, so Dexter Williams is another guy who I think is a sleeper. I've talked a lot about the Bengals guys, Rodney Anderson and Travion Williams. You know, obviously my thoughts on, on Rodney Anderson are well known. Uh, so if you want to classify him as a sleeper, you can, but I know I've been talking about him a lot because on skill alone, I think he's the second most talented running back in this class after Josh Jacobs. I'm going to keep going further down. Another guy, I, Darwin Thompson's getting some love out there in that Kansas City, and I've talked about him a lot. So I'm not going to I'm not going to discuss him too much as a sleeper. I think Quadre Allison with the Falcons is a little bit of a sleeper. They invested a fifth round pick in him, and what's unique about him is he offers a very different style, size, frame than what's there in Atlanta. Obviously, they got Devontae Freeman coming back from an injury. Uh, they have Ito Smith you know, Tevin Coleman has moved on. Quadra Allison, big guy, good size, great frame, has some bursts though, has some bursts and speed for a man his size if he gets to the second level. Now, I don't think he's going to make people miss and he doesn't have lateral quickness and agility and change of direction skills, but he's got size, he's got frame, he's got power, physical toughness, and he's got some bursts, especially if he gets to the second level. So I could see a scenario where he gets an opportunity this year to potentially see a, you know a, a- a percentage of carries that this adds a little bit of a different element to that Falcons run game. I could see him being a short yardage and goal line runner at times this year. So I think Quadra Allison is a little bit of a guy who is a sleeper right now, who's kind of going under the radar and not really being talked about a lot. So I think Allison uh, is one guy, Jordan Scarlett and Carolina. I, I think Carolina's second running back is, is a wide open situation. So I think Jordan Scarlett there has an opportunity, you know, I don't think he plays up to his t- testing numbers. You know, I thought he was going to be more of a four-five-five five guy. He tested better than that. I never saw that speed and burst on on film. But once upon a time, he was a pretty big recruit. He kind of had a really strong freshman year. Then he had some issues, missed an entire year. But I think it's more about the opportunity there behind Christian McCaffrey that maybe Scarlett has a chance to develop into the number two running back there. Another sleeper is Miles Gaskin. He went in the seventh round to the Dolphins. And the reason why I say he's a little bit of a sleeper is they don't have anything else after Kenyon Drake, you know, and Kalen Balaj. And Miles Gaskin is someone who had a very successful collegiate career. If he came out after last college football season, I think he could have been a, you know, Fourth round pick. So this year he kind of falls, you know, to the end of the draft. But I think there's opportunity there. You know, the previous Miami regime didn't really want to give Kenyon Drake the bell cow role. We don't know what the new Miami staff is going to do. Kalen Balaj, I'm a fan of Balaj, but there's a lot of people who weren't. Miles Gaskin has shown the ability to handle a heavy workload, catch passes. He's a guy who is very different style player than a Kalen Balaj, who I think. While he's a good pass catcher, Belage, he's not a guy who's got great lateral quickness or is going to make people miss. Miles Gaskin, his change of direction skills, his cutting ability, his elusiveness, that, that's his calling card. So he adds a little bit of a different dynamic there. He's a good receiver. And I think their running back depth chart is wide open. So I think Miles Gaskin is a sleeper not getting enough attention. Some In terms of some UDFA sleepers, James Williams out of Washington State, he ended up with the Chiefs. I think there's a role there, and I don't know if besides him or Darwin Thompson are maybe competing for the same role, but James Williams could be a very much a James White-style player, a guy who could potentially catch 50 to 70 passes. That's his calling card. I thought because of his specialized role, I thought he had a chance to go, you know, and be drafted maybe in round six or round seven. It didn't happen. So James Williams in Kansas City, I kind of like the fit. He's something you're going to want to follow real close in training camp and then preseason. And if you have a late rookie draft, James Williams in the deep league might not be the worst pickup trying to attach yourself to that Kansas City offense. Another UDFA, Divine Azigbo went to the sign with the Saints. Now, what's intriguing about that is, yes, they went out and got Latavius Murray, but besides Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray, there's room there. And I don't think Latavius Murray at his age now and his skill set, I don't think it's something that is locked in stone. Now, they gave him a decent contract, so I think he's going to be involved this year. But if Azibo impresses this year, I could see a scenario down the line where he gets an opportunity to at least be in the rotation there. We've seen... Sean Payton over the years use a lot of running backs. I mean, there was a you know, a point in time that they would use, you know, uh Chris Ivory, you know, and other guys that were there that that came in, and you know they would go three deep, four deep at running back, and 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 utilize them throughout the year. So I do think there's a scenario where Zigbo can get an opportunity for a man his size. He has good athleticism. One of those guys that some people really were big fans of in the industry. I had him in that 17 to 20 range pre-draft, but his size and athleticism did intrigue me. It was surprising not to see him at the Senior Bowl. I he had a shot to get drafted, you know, around five through seven, but he goes as it undrafted. Saints sign him up. I think it's an intriguing spot in real deep dynasty leagues. I'd be okay utilizing a pick on Ezebo and putting him in uh, on my taxi squad if possible. Couple of other UDFAs, Bruce Anderson signed with the Tampa Bay Bucks. What's interesting about that is they have not invested at the running back position at all this offseason. So they have Payton Barber there. They have Ronald Jones, who was an early second round pick last year, but Jones really struggled last year, barely sort of field. You know, I think Barber is, is pretty much just the guy. Bruce Anderson is another player, good size and frame, has some receiving ability as well. I don't think he is a player that any specific thing jumps out at you, but I do think he's a guy that could at least kind of hold his own and be a guy that if given an opportunity and I think they have a good offense, but they're with James Winston and their receivers that I do think Anderson is at least someone to, to kind of monitor. You know, I think he's got above average, good athleticism and bursts and quickness, functional To good agility and elusiveness in the open field, and he's a capable receiver, so he's got some free down potential. So I I am intrigued by him there, especially with the landing spot. Two guys who ended up in Houston, Karan Higdon and Demarie Crockett, I think are two guys we should be following closely. You know, Crockett is obviously a guy who once upon a time looked that he could be a potentially big time uh, prospect when he when he first got to Missouri as a freshman he's got good size and frame he tested out really well in his uh, before the draft in the pre-draft process at his pro day so he's got good athleticism he's got some speed and short area burst and quickness and he's got good play strength and finishing ability so obviously receiving ability you know is a little bit of a concern there I don't you know so and I don't think he's got a, a lot of agility so that's one of those things that but the landing spot there is really intriguing because of they really just have Lamar Miller. And then who knows about Dante Foreman coming back from a torn Achilles. Obviously that's something we got to monitor closely. And then also Karan Higdon. Karan Higdon was the guy that a lot of people thought was going to get drafted. He's got average size. But a good compact frame. He's got functional, the good athleticism with good short area bursts and quickness. He's got play strength, ability to finish runs, run through contact. So he's another UDFA guy that I'd keep an eye on there just because I think the Houston backfield is a little bit of an opening there to potentially, you know, have, see some touches. And, and who knows if Lamar Miller fades, you know, maybe he even gets that opportunity. A couple other UDFA sleepers. I would say Elijah Holyfield. I already talked briefly about Jordan Scarlett. Could I see a scenario where Elijah Holyfield is better than Jordan Scarlett in training camp and preseason, and, and he gets the nod for sure? Obviously, had a horrific pre-draft process, but I like the, but physical, tough could be a guy who grinds out runs. So when I talked about Scarlett, I think Holyfield can do some of that stuff. He didn't test out. So he doesn't have the, the short area burst that maybe Scarlett has, but physical tough type of runner that I do think showed better than what his pre-draft process number. So I think he's a little bit of a sleeper. Alex Barnes tested really well. I think he could make the roster for the Titans and he'd be the ideal, you know, Guy that if something was to happen to Derrick Henry, he can fill a lot of those roles. Obviously, Deion Lewis is still there, but Alex Barnes kind of is more of a player stylistically to what Derrick Henry is. He's got some, he's got athleticism. He's got size, frame. So I, if if Derrick Henry was to ever go down, I think Barnes would be an intriguing part of that backfield with Deion Lewis if he makes the roster. So Alex Barnes is the guy I'd also be keeping an eye on as well. So those are, those are my UDFA running back sleepers that, that I think intrigue me that you should be following closely, listening to what they're saying at OTAs, uh, mini camps, and then obviously training camp and preseason. Let's go to a tight end position. And as a tight end position, I'm going to first start with uh, a guy who I think is being undervalued a little bit. And I think that is Foster Moreau. I think Foster Moreau is a guy who. Let's not try to hold his production against him too much. We've seen LSU players not produce there. He just didn't get a lot of opportunity there to produce as a receiver. So he tested out really well athletically in the pre-draft process. He showed better in terms of his receiving capabilities and his overall athleticism. We saw last year, uh, Gruden, John Gruden did a great job scheming open Jared Cook, and he was a big integral part of that passing offense. I could see a scenario where Moreau develops into a starter there for the Oakland Raiders. So he's one guy who I think is being undervalued a little bit. I think the top seven guys are being talked about a lot. So there was nobody in that group that I thought was really being undervalued. Hawkinson, Fant, Irv Smith, Sternberger, Waring, Knox, and Oliver. I think all seven of those guys – you know, from somewhere in round one to the end of round three, most likely, you know, should be selected. Maybe, you know, Josh Oliver or somebody like that could fall to the the early part of round four, but I think all of them weren't going in the, in the first three rounds of rookie drafts. So I don't think any of those guys are being undervalued, but I do think Foster Moreau is another guy who I think is, is Alcee Mack, who was a seventh round pick of the saints. Listen, they signed Jared cook, but that's a short-term deal. We've seen the Saints give opportunity to, you know, undervalued or underappreciated tight ends. Last year was Dan Arnold making plays. We've seen with Josh Hill. So who's to say Al Zay Mack can't develop into a player that makes that roster that maybe starts out as a third tight end, but eventually gets an opportunity to work his way up. It wouldn't be that surprising. I like his athleticism. I like his balance in terms of he developed into a better blocker, but I think there's a lot of untapped receiving potential there as well. He's a guy who was a former big time recruit, so he's got, you know, that track record as being a guy who was looked upon as as a good athlete. So he's a guy who I think's a little bit uh being undervalued or maybe even want to say sleeper there. If you go a little bit further and, and dig a little bit deeper, a couple uh one other guy, Tommy Sweeney. I mean Probably not going to be drafted in any dynasty drafts. He went to Buffalo also with Dawson Knox. Listen, Dawson Knox is really betting on the potential that we believe he has. Tommy Sweeney's been pretty productive throughout his college career. I could see Tommy Sweeney making that roster. Maybe starts out as a third tight end, but if, if Dawson Knox doesn't show the growth and development that I think I and many people expect, I think Tommy Sweeney's a guy really deep sleeper guy that I wouldn't be stunned if you know down the line you know he emerged you know and potentially was a serviceable player some udfas to keep an eye on uh Dax Raymond to the bears he was a guy I thought could go in the fourth or fifth round so Dax Raymond is a kind of an intriguing guy there i mean obviously you know trey burden was was the big Bears tight end signing last off season, but I don't think it's you know he didn't have this elite season that who knows down the line. I mean Dex Raymond is a guy that I think follow closely. You know obviously they have Adam Shaheen there also, but Raymond's got good size and frame, above average athleticism with good movement skills. He's got good ball skills. I, do, I like his great great length, ability to high point the ball well in contested situations. That he was functional play strength to be an adequate blocker. So there's some components of Dax Raymond that I find intriguing. So I think he's a guy as a UDF sleeper that I'd keep an eye on uh there as well. And then one other real deep one, CJ Conrad to the Giants. Listen, Giants are like are going to use a lot more two tight end sets. I could see Rhett Ellison uh being a cap casualty after this year. And if CJ Conrad makes the roster. I could see him emerging to be a second tight end. I think CJ Conrad is a serviceable player. I think he's a good blocker, but I also think, you know, he showed some receiving capabilities at Kentucky, good toughness, effective blocker, but he's got reliable hands. He's a guy, you know, who shows the ability to be an average receiver. He's an inline guy or a possible H back. The Giants and, and Pat Shermer's offense kind of want to have one of those guys. So I, I could see a scenario where Conrad, you know, in makes the roster this year. You don't really hear much from him, but could develop into a number two tight end next year if, if Red Ellison has moved on. So he's a real deep guy that I just kind of wanted to talk about a little bit as a UDFA sleeper tight end. Let's take this to the wide receiver position to kind of close out, uh, this evening in terms of, undervalued. I don't see anybody who's standing out too much in terms of, you know, my top ten. I think those guys, you know, are all gonna go within the first round to round and a half of rookie drafts. I will say I do think while some people are talking about him, I'm not sure enough people are talking about Deontay Johnson out of Pittsburgh. So I'm going to say he's my undervalued player right now from a guy who you know, I think should be getting more discussion as a mid to late second round rookie pick potentially, because I do think guy that is really intriguing. I liked him in the pre-draft process. I think he was like my number 14 or number 15 wide receiver. He was a guy Matt and I talked a lot about. We like both of the players there, Toledo, you know, and Matt and I talked about Deontay Johnson and Cody Thompson a lot. Deontay Johnson, I thought it was a, an early fourth round pick. So Pittsburgh took him in the third round. They said they had a first round grade on him, whether that's true or not, who knows? He's a little undersized, but he's got good athleticism. He's got great speed, good separation, quickness, agility, and elusiveness after the catch. To me, he's an explosive playmaker. He can play inside in the slot. He can play outside. He can get vertical and he's a great return guy. And we talked before about good return guys translating at the next level, you know, in terms of their other position, because they show the ability to make people miss and be a weapon in the open field. I think the, Opportunity in Pittsburgh is wide open. I like James Washington a lot. So I do think James Washington is going to merge this year. I'm, I don't think Dante Moncrief is there for the long term. So I think Deontay Johnson, James Washington, and Juju Smith could develop into their main three wide receivers sooner rather than later. And I think Deontay Johnson is a guy that could surprise sooner rather than later, whether it's this year, in the middle of the year, late in this year, or by a second year. To me, he's the guy that I'd be. All about in that you know I don't know eighteen to twenty four range of rookie drafts you know somewhere there I think warrants he, him being selected in that area so he'd be the guy that's a little bit undervalued in terms of a sleeper I mean he's not a sleeper on name brand but just based on where he went I'll say Calvin Harmon he was my number three pre draft wide receiver I still love the size the ability to win at the catch point the body control, the ability to adjust to the ball, his ability to get open on back shoulder fades, utilize his body to create that space at the catch point, great hands. So to me, he's still a sleeper. I know he's probably going to go late round three or round four in rookie drafts, and that's where he should be going now. But I still think because he was a sixth round pick, people have kind of just completely, you know, he's not really on people's radar anymore. And I understand that you got to adjust the draft capital, but he's a little bit of a sleeper. Uh, If we keep this going, I think one guy who's a sleeper is Keyshawn Johnson to Arizona. He's getting lost in the shuffle because of all the investment they made at the wide receiver position. They still have Fitzgerald there. They drafted Christian Kirk last year in round two. Then they draft Andy Isabella in round two. They draft Keem Butler in round four. So they get Keyshawn Johnson in round six. But Keyshawn Johnson is a really good player who has inside outside capabilities, can Can win from the slot, can win outside, reliable hands, great collegiate production. You know, if, if Arizona and that air raid offense is running a lot of four wide receiver sets, maybe not in year one, but Keyshawn Johnson's going to get an opportunity to play a lot, I think, as soon as year two. And I don't think there's a lot of. Separation between Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler, Keyshawn Johnson, in terms of who could produce at the next level. You know, in that offense and what the roles of each of those guys would be, I think it's, I don't, I don't think it's that crazy to think that, you know, any of those guys really could emerge down the line and be the guy who puts up the most statistical production. So I I think Keyshawn Johnson is an intriguing guy, really good route runner, all around player that fell a little bit further than I think. You know, most people thought. Hunter Renfro in Oakland. I think he could be the starting slot wide receiver this year. I think with Tyra Williams and Antonio Brown on the outside, I see a scenario where Hunter Renfro could develop this year into a starting slot wide receiver. So I think he's a little bit of a sleeper. Could he down the line be an Adam Humphreys type player? For sure. I think he could see a lot of work underneath there in that passing offense. Uh, you know, as a check down option. Uh you know, to car. So I, I think Renfro's is a little bit of a sleeper, Gary Jennings in Seattle. Everybody's talking about DK Metcalf pairing with Tyler Lockett. I think there's a scenario where Gary Jennings has a capability to develop into a guy, you know, and a productive player there in that offense. So I think he's a little bit of a sleeper. He showed the ability, you know, This year, he showed the ability to get vertical. Prior to this year, he was a little bit, they used him at West Virginia a little bit more of a possession receiver. So he's now shown the capabilities to win both vertically down the field and in the short to intermediate uh, range as well. So because he was able to win vertically down the field, he really has some versatility where he can play the flanker position. He can play the X position. He probably can even kick inside and, and play the slot position as well. So if, if DK Metcalf struggles to transition to the NFL game, Gary Jennings might see an opportunity in terms of depth of and the amount of targets sooner rather than later. So I think he's a sleeper at the wide receiver position. A couple of UDFA sleepers that I really wanted to talk about at the wide receiver position. though. one was Stanley Morgan jr. Obviously if you're a regular listener to Saturday, Sunday, you know that I was a big fan of his game. I thought he was one of the best route runners in this entire class. A lot of conversations uh with Matt Waldman about him because Matt Waldman had him, I believe, in his top ten or top twelve, liked a lot of the similar things, compared him to like an old AFC North style player, uh strong, physical, good after the catch. You know, and and I see the same thing. I, I saw a little bit of like a Robert woods style player. And what intrigued me about him and why I think he's a sleeper is I think the Bengals the, Wide receiver depth chart is a little bit up for grabs after AJ Green, who is aging a little bit. Tyler Boyd's there; took him a couple of years to emerge, but now he is. John Ross, who knows if he doesn't show anything this year, they could just move on from him. I think there's an opportunity there for Stanley Morgan. He's got the ability to play inside or outside, so so he's got some versatility. You know, the new offense and the new scheme they're running there; those versatile guys that can play inside outside, you know. They're coming from, he's coming from the Rams. So they had Cooper cup. They had Robert Woods, that ability to play inside and outside, even Brandon cooks, move guys around. I think Stanley Morgan jr. Offers that. So I could see a world that he makes this team. And then this year he's a number four, and number five wide receiver. But then by next year, he gets an opportunity to be their number three wide receiver. I don't think it's impossible if we're trying to find some UDFA guys that could emerge and be surprises down the line. Stanley Morgan Jr. would be one that I would definitely say is possible. The second UDFA guy that I would constitute as a sleeper is Preston Williams. Obviously, started his career at Tennessee. Then went to Colorado State. Some people, you know, some off the field stuff and 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 character stuff. That uh, you know made him go undrafted, but let's be honest: the Miami Dolphins depth chart is, is kind of up for grabs. I mean, they they brought back Devontae Parker, who has never materialized into the player they thought. Kenny Stills is there. Albert Wilson is there. They don't have guys locked in in the short term and the long term. Preston Williams, if he ever played up to his potential and made the roster, you know you almost could look at Preston Williams in terms of his is. Notoriety and his production at the collegiate level very similar to years ago with Isaiah Crowell. St- Isaiah Crowell started out, you know, at a big time college program, big time recruit, and then eventually ended his career at a low level program, even lower than where Preston Williams ended his career. But Crowell went as a UDFA, but then got an opportunity and, and has been, you know, had some really nice productive seasons, some serviceable years. I can see a scenario where Preston Williams the same thing. He goes the UDFA route, makes the team, and if he keeps his head on straight and everything is good off the field, he could uh, emerge as a as a guy that's in the rotation there for the Dolphins in terms of, you know, potentially being a top 3 or top 4 wide receiver in the future. So Preston Williams is somebody that intrigues me. One guy who I thought should have been a third or Late third or early fourth round pick, Emmanuel Hall signed as a UDFA free agent with the Bears. And then the Bears got a lot of guys there. They drafted Riley Ridley. Obviously, they got Taylor Gabriel, Lester, Anthony Miller they traded up for. They have Allen Robinson. They used Tariq Cohen in the passing game. So situation is not ideal. But man, I really do like the talent of Emmanuel Hall. You know, I thought he could have went, you know, if he was the back end of a top 100 pick, I wouldn't have been surprised. He showed more route running capabilities this year. He's got great length. He's got body control and he's got the ability to take the top off defenses and be a big time vertical weapon. So maybe, you know, he, he sneaks on to the back end of that roster. Maybe in the year they move on from Taylor Gabriel. I could see Emmanuel Hall stepping right in into that role and potentially being a weapon there. So he's a guy that intrigues me. One, uh, one or two final other guys, keep an eye on Keelan Doth and Oakland. I talked before a little bit about Oakland's wide receivers, you know, Tyrell Williams and Antonio Brown and then Hunter Renfro. I think Keelan Doss is a guy who I thought could have been a, a fourth round or fifth round pick so he intrigues me. He really good route runner looked really good at the senior bowl. You know, obviously elite collegiate production, but Keelan Dawson is the guy that I thought was definitely getting drafted. So keep an eye on him. Anthony Johnson with the Buccaneers, obviously Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are locked in, but the rest of their depth chart is wide open. A guy like Anthony Johnson, Good size, good frame, doesn't have elite athleticism, but he's got he's got functional athleticism, uses his body to create space at the catch point, really good hands, good collegiate production. I like Anthony Johnson, thought he was a fourth, fifth round pick talent, and he uh fell all the way out of the draft and went as a UDFA free agent. So keep an eye on them. You got Penny Hart, the slot wide receiver, you know, as a UDFA sleeper who went to the Colts. Uh obviously real quick uh change of direction type guy, good route runner, keep an eye on him. The Chiefs invested a whole bunch of UDFA free agents in Cody Thompson at Toledo, Jamal Custis at Syracuse, and Felton Davis at Michigan State. Keep an eye on all of them. I think if any of those guys make the roster and then Tyree Kill is no longer with the Chiefs. There could be an opportunity for somebody like Thompson or Custis or Davis to to make some noise. I don't think talent wise these guys are that far off the Demarcus Robinsons, you know, of the world and, and players like that. So I do you know, you want to keep a close eye on the Kansas City Chiefs guys from that group. I personally like Cody Thompson the most, you know, I thought he was a really good route runner, good athleticism inside, outside capabilities. You know, if they're, you know, he, he reminded me of a guy, uh, you know, that can come there, make a roster because of his versatility, probably be a good special teams guy as well. So Thompson is a guy that, you know, would intrigue me a little bit there with the, with the Chiefs. And then, uh, Tyree Brady, another guy, uh, at a Marshall ended up with Jacksonville. A little bit intriguing there. Obviously Jacksonville, you know, has invested, you know, resources at the wide receiver position. Marquise Lee and DJ Chark and, 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 uh, DK West, uh, and, and Westbrook. So. I like Brady. I thought he was a fourth, fifth round type player as well. You know, good frame and size. He reminded me a little bit of like a Marvin Jones type player. So, uh, you know, listen, DD Westbrook and, and Marquis Lee and DJ Chark are going to get the opportunity first. But Nick Foles is a competent quarterback that I could see Tyree Brady potentially making that team. And if he makes that team, I don't think the guys in front of him are, you know, are all world type talents that he can eventually work his way up there. So we're trying to just pick some, you know, UDFA guys that could be sleepers, could make the roster and eventually, you know, down the line, potentially move up the depth chart and get an opportunity, uh, you know, to do something with it. So there it is, guys, some undervalued uh, prospects, some sleeper guys that were drafted, and then also a whole bunch of UDFA sleepers, From the quarterback position, the running back position, the wide receivers, and the tight ends. I really hope you enjoyed this show. I just kind of wanted to get an opportunity to talk about some of these under-the-radar guys. Guys that I just don't think are getting valued as they should. Getting talked about as they should. And then really, you know, some of the guys at the bottom of rankings. You know, late-round picks. And then really those UDFA guys. Like I said, you know, we talked about a lot of these UDFA guys I brought up tonight were guys that we talked a lot about in the pre draft months, you know, leading up to the NFL draft. And then they went undrafted. So they weren't a part of my recap shows on draft weekend. They weren't a part of the rookie mock draft. They weren't a part of my initial uh, dynasty rookie rankings. And then with the guests we've had on, we've mostly been hitting on the big topics, the, the prospects who will probably go in the first three rounds. Uh, mostly of your rookie drafts. Maybe some fall into the early round four. We haven't had a chance to talk about some of these late round sleeper prospects and we really haven't had a chance to talk about any of these UDFA guys. So I thought you guys would appreciate uh me digging deep tonight and and talking about some of these guys. Cause I know, you know, I know I do and I know some probably many of you guys play in some really deep dynasty leagues where, you know, you have, you know, six, seven, eight round rookie drafts, you have deep rosters, you have taxi squads. So if that's the case, this, you know, kind of gives you an idea, you know, maybe you play in 14 or 16 team leagues. So this kind of digs deep for some names that you should be following closely over the next couple months. So on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, on behalf of Matt and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.